In a lawsuit in the 1990s, according to the Washington Post, one former female employee alleged that you said, quote, I would do you in a second. Should Democrats expect better from their nominee? None of them accused me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just put, and let me put, there's a be agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. That was rough. <laughs> I believe in democratic socialism okay, for yeah. working people, not billionaires. Don't let you We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed and discriminated against. That's not what we do as Democrats. Standing on the edges of the Funny how... Let's put forward somebody who actually lives and works in a middle-class neighborhood in an industrial Midwestern city. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. In my company, lots and lots of women have big responsibilities. They get paid exactly the same as men. Let's talk about democratic socialism, not communism, Mr. Bloomberg. That's a cheap shot. Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, I'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is, but understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. That was saucy sick burn. Oh, hi, get out of the way, please. It's running and bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning bed. All the folks agree that this is terrible. This is the worst of the worst catastrophes in the world. Gave me everything, yeah. We shouldn't have to choose between one candidate who wants to burn this party down and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. is how many and and when you and when you say they signed them and they wanted them if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege that's now okay with you you're releasing them on television tonight did he say yes <laughs> what about the code 
You, you, and, your, you and your campaign, you and your camp, not me, oh, you on. and your campaign contributions electing people who represent the wealthy and the powerful. Yes. Those are the folks, Democrats. Thank those you. Are, well, and Republicans, too. I'm the only one on this stage that actually got anything done on health care. Okay. R.I.P. Mini Mike. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> did you did you see that somebody updated his Wikipedia page with date <laughs> date of death February nineteenth, cause of death Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> That's great. Ooh. I didn't get a chance to actually watch it when it was happening, and I saw the clips and go, "I got to do something with this now." It's just it's it's gold, Jerry. It's gold. It, it was a genuine disaster. Oh, oh wow. Our, our old friends that uh, predicted, I think his uh, his stock dropped uh, or likelihood of uh, being the nominee dropped like 80 percent overnight. <laughs> it's hard to be it's hard to do something like that. I mean, that was a full on takedown by the entire party Ooh. and he had no no response. No. How do you yeah. spend how do you spend four hundred million dollars to get on the stage and then not be prepared for that? I don't that that's yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's a it's a difference between being able to make great ads and then being a real candidate. Yeah. And oh, I mean, it was I didn't watch it either. I just watched clips of it. And it was oh, it was it was uncomfortable. <laughs> all I know is while I was looking for the YouTube videos to, to do this, it was all ads for him. So <laughs> I found that rather ironic. Yeah. Anyways. Hi, guys. It's Barstool Politics after that exceedingly long intro. Uh, I'm your host, Nick, uh, Nick McGuire, joined as always by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College. And Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Howdy. Hey. Uh, before we get started, all the usual fun stuff. If you guys have questions, comments, uh, beer suggestions, uh, want to see what we're up to, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Androids. Just search for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast, uh, you can share or like through uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Um, we always appreciate the support. And then our merch line, you can find on teespring.com. Uh, direct links will be on our social channels. Um, so definitely look for that. Uh, T-shirts, uh, mugs, sweaters, um, more things coming. Uh, so yeah, just keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, we should get a scarf on there. You know, it's chilly. A scarf? Yeah, a Barstool Politics scarf. I'll I'll put that on the list. <laughs> a scarf. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we're we're definitely going to talk about the debates, but there's so much going on this week. Um, yeah, the Justice Department stuff is is really really interesting, and Bill Barr is really really interesting. Um, Phil, can you give us a rundown of that? Yeah, I've been trying to wrest control of the agenda from Bill for years, and it's finally happened. <laughs> so uh, the controversy surrounding the Justice Department and Bill Barr continued to grow this week. Trump associate and comic book villain Roger Stone was sentenced today to 40 months in prison for seven felony convictions, including lying to Congress and witness tampering. But long before we got to the sentencing today, things had gotten messy. Last week, as we talked about, Trump tweeted criticism about the process after career prosecutors suggested a sentence of seven to nine years. And mere hours later, senior Justice Department officials had intervened and suggested a more lenient penalty. 
This week, the story continued to unfold. A beleaguered Bill Barr stated in an interview that President Trump, quote, has never asked me to do anything in a criminal case, but should stop tweeting about the Justice Department because his tweets were, quote, making it impossible for me to do my job. (laughs) Whether Barr was actually upset at Trump's interference or just frustrated with the president's inability to shut up about it is up for debate. But reports even yesterday indicated that Barr was considering quitting if Trump didn't stop interfering. Regardless, Trump was right back on Twitter this week attacking the judge in Stone's case, even tweeted during the sentencing phase today while they were in court. In the midst of all of this, a story broke that the Justice Department is reviewing other cases, including Mike Flynn, a former national security advisor who has pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. And then this weekend, over 2,000 former Department, 2,000 former Department of Justice officials signed a letter... Republicans and Democrats signed this letter that uh, calls on Bill Barr to resign for his role in undermining the legitimacy of the Department of Justice. The letter states that, quote, it is unheard of for the department's top leaders to overrule line prosecutors who are following established policies in order to give preferential treatment to close to a close associate of the president, as General Attorney General Barr did in the Stone case. They name they talk about him specifically. Bill. This is a lot of political involvement in a legal case. It seems almost inevitable that Trump is going to pardon Roger Stone at some point. Uh, where should we start? There's a lot of a lot of junk caught up in this. You know, you're right. There's so many pieces, but maybe we should start by thinking about the way in which Bill Barr has approached being attorney general, because it's so much of this revolves around that and, and pointing out how unique it is from all other attorney generals, including Trump's first attorney general, Jeff Sessions, right? Historically, there has been this firewall between the White House and the Department of Justice and the Attorney General. And for good reasons, right? It's, if you're a democracy, you don't want the, the Department of Justice, the law and order wing of the government to be politicized. Um, and it, it, again, every single administration of recent memory, that has been the case. Bill Barr has decided to dabble in, you know, way into a number of these highly political cases and and it's it's sort of you reap what you sow, right? And it feels like some of this is coming back to bite him. He was attorney general previously, and there wasn't this type of behavior. And it's hard to figure out what's going on. It is, you know, it's either that he has embraced Trump's worldview, and I, I think he's probably honest when he says that Trump is not telling him what to do. But but in some ways, that doesn't matter. Barr knows what Trump wants. And I don't think if that's if you are going to dabble in these cases, if you're going to dabble with Stone, with Michael Flynn, the Mueller report, you have to anticipate criticism. I think Barr has brought this on himself and in the process undermined the credibility of the Department of Justice. It's just, you know, it it doesn't have to be that way. And and Jeff Sessions, for all of Jeff Jeff Sessions' faults, and we spent a lot of time ripping Jeff Sessions over the, the years or the whatever it was, months, but but at least Jeff Sessions wouldn't be bullied by the White House. Um, and to me, this feels like a catastrophe. It, it shows how far we've come that Jeff Sessions yeah. seems good, right? right. <laughs> that, that, yes. that there's some nostalgia for him. Nick? Um, I, I found it really interesting that he meant, he made any sort of mention that Trump was making this difficult on him. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's more, you know, kabuki theater or if this is actually you know his internal monologue coming out finally um it suggests to me that he probably won't be around much longer uh in you know generally situations where there's any sort of dissent even by the most loyal members of the administration they tend to be gone fairly quickly and fairly publicly 
um, because <laughs> Trump will tweet about it yeah. um, before they know that they're fired. Um, I, I can't imagine that he'll be around for another, I don't know, more than another couple of months. There's no way Trump is going to find another person who will be like Bill Barr, though, right? I mean, you can't, that the Senate would approve. Right. But I, it has to be, it either has to, <laughs> either Bill Barr has this weird, completely different conception of how things are perceived or how they're they're being perceived and he thinks his he's doing fairly well at his job and trump is the problem or he is part of this you know more nefarious cabal thing and i think it's somewhere in between as it usually is but like for him to say that was was shocking to me Uh, to to go out and say that trump's tweets are not helping it was a moment of honesty and clarity but yeah what is what was his motivation there I, i i don't know Right. I mean, the interesting thing is that so I, my question to the two of you was going to be is is Barr actually is the frustration he's expressing, you know, legitimate? Is it that he's frustrated that, you know, that, that justice and the independence of the Justice Department is being uh, you know challenged by the president? Or is he just pissed because Trump won't shut up? And if Trump will just shut up, he can do it. The, the, the interesting thing is, regardless, either way. Trump is causing trouble by doing this if he would shut up. So whether, you know, whether you believe in justice and you think it should be separate or whether you think that Trump should be put in charge and let to, you know, able to do whatever he wants. Either way, Trump would it would be better if Trump would just shut up, would quit tweeting. Barr could do his thing, could do what Trump wants him to and and draw less attention to it if Trump would shut up. Or, you know, Trump Barr could also be a good attorney general if if Trump right. would shut up either way. Well, if if we think about those individual cases, whether it's the Mueller report or looking into the Roger Stone case or Michael Flynn, or the, again, there's a whole host of them. It, historically, attorney generals don't want to touch those highly politicized cases. They want the, the, the regular prosecutors are looking at them to, to run with those cases and say, you make your determination. You know, don't let the political elements get involved. Bill Barr continues to put himself in that position where he weighs in. The Roger Stone thing is stunning, you know, that they were going to try to pull this back. And what did you say that the, the, the attorney general was suggesting should have been less than a year for, for Stone? I don't know what the what the updated the the yeah. lesser sentence. I don't know what they what they recommended, but but to come dramatically down from the seven to nine years, ultimately getting you know right. forty months. Well, I mean, this is the this is where Trump staying out of it matters. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I come back around to you know, I it, it is important for the attorney general to be separate from the presidency because of the legitimacy of law and order, and you don't want a president who's who's punishing his rivals and all of that. But this is where even tweeting about it, even Trump just making his it it casts a shadow of doubt over everything, because now this question is the judge who seems to be well respected. uh, I mean, she talked about norms and the importance of norms in her sentencing today, but she comes down with a 40 month sentence, which is short of what was recommended the seven to nine years. Did she do that because of, I mean, if I'm the judge, here's what I think. If, if prosecutors say seven to nine, and then the justice department revises it and says it should be two years or whatever, if she follows the first recommendation and sentences him to seven to nine years, that's an excuse for Trump to use then to pardon him, right? To say, look, this is unfair. Uh, the, the, the sentencing guidelines were, were changed and she didn't obey them. Or she can sort of give in to the public pressure or the of the president and, and give. But even if she's giving what she thinks is the right 
verdict, there is there is this cloud of doubt about what was you know what was behind it. Was political pressure a part of it? Uh, and it just the whole system gets the whole process gets screwed up in a way that that brings the legitimacy of everything into into doubt. Well, that's right, because Trump has the, you know, he has the power to pardon Stone. He just could have done that. And then even if it's political, it doesn't matter. At least it's legal. But going about it this way, where Bill Barr gets involved and Trump is tweeting, then in the process, you undermine the rule of law, the Department of Justice. You know, you mentioned all the, the former career prosecutors and Democrats and Republicans who are calling on him to resign. That's a big, big deal mm-hmm. uh, when you have bipartisan support saying this is not how the Department of Justice should operate. Like that's not a little bit of, you know, that's not a handful of voices. That's that's a community saying that this is is a major, major problem. I mean, you made the point though. He has been attorney general before. Mm-hmm. So what happened between then and now? Was there any sort of inkling that he was this type of person? Or is this completely new? <laughs> like it, it's it a, seems bizarre that he would question. go completely in the opposite direction of what he was it's a it's it's such a great question because is it is it is this the effect that trump has on even people of integrity Mm -hmm. and when you talk to people who are around bill barr at least beforehand i mean bill barr was seen as somebody who was a a by the books even what you know when he was first nominated on this podcast we Mm -hmm. said this feels like somebody who will you know be a career person is going to be good at this job so why the change why all of these apparently or what appear to be political motivations, you know, how did the, it feels a little like Dick Cheney, who over time, Dick Cheney became a different person than he was early in his career versus no, he where he ended. <laughs> so, there's the possibility. I've seen other people who I, I'm not all that familiar with Bill Barr's first go at all of this, but I've seen other people talk about how, I mean, he was involved with uh, Iran Contra stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so I, the, one of the, one of the ways of interpreting it that I've seen that I think is intriguing is through a, a Lindsey Graham lens is also Lindsey Graham is the person that people have pointed to who used to be, you know, this really principled person. And now like, what the hell has happened to him? And I saw somebody point out that Lindsey Graham's, you know, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's a supporting character. And that as long as he like hovered around John McCain, as long as he was in John McCain's orbit, he was principled because he was he was orbiting around John McCain. And then, you know, John McCain goes and he finds himself in Trump's orbit and Trump is not principled. And so Lindsey Graham is not. And I wonder if there's something to that with Bill Barr. Right. As long as Bill Barr is working for people who are Republican, he's a party man. Right. He's a Republican. If if in the past when he worked for, you know, Reagan Bush type of of presidents and in those Department of Justices, he played the the game by their rules. But in a Trump world, he's playing by Trump's rules. So it's not that he's necessarily principled. Sure. It's that he was living in a principled administration before and he's not now. Well, and the Iran-Contra would suggest that when when there is an opportunity to follow a more unprincipled, unprincipled path, he did so. And with Trump, they're everywhere, right? I mean, he's got so many opportunities for misguided decisions. So, like, I have a hard time. Ble- like, I, I completely understand what you're saying, um, especially in terms of something like Iran-Contra. I, I think that there have been plenty of administrations, both Democrat and Republican, that have done exceedingly unprincipled things, oh, yeah. um, but still followed the law. Right. Um, but I, I have a hard time believing that it's 
just because someone is in the orbit of someone who does something on principle, they immediately shift towards that. He's not he's not the one. Trump isn't the the, the one ring. You know, these guys aren't fucking gone. What about all those after school specials we used to see? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder how much of it is more party affiliation and party allegiance mm-hmm. and this kind of move towards populism, especially in the Republican Party. And Trump being kind of the mouthpiece of that more than anything, as opposed to, you know, this this very behavior centric thing um, or, or this this copycat kind of mentality of, you know, being in lockstep with someone because they did something else and they happen to be your uh, superior. Um, and I don't know we would ever get an answer to that. But well, in operating to kind of build off that operating this hyper partisan environment, your interpretation of the law. Even if you if you believe, and I'm sure Bill Barr believes he is following the law, is going to be tinted by your partisanship, and 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 now it's going to be Trump's partisanship. So you're either with him or you're with the Democrat, and so maybe some of that is is driving this. But but I mean, it really it shows the degree to which Trump has undermined you know the, the norms, the institutions of law and order, and that should have us really panicked uh, because coming back from that is not going to be easy, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, we'll talk about this later. You know, th- there's a tendency now for the Democrats to drift in that same direction uh, and pursue their own political law. So I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really worried about it. Yes. They sound like lunatics <laughs> <laughs> as you heard for three minutes straight. Yes. What is, Ooh. what do you think Trump's motive? I mean, we've tried to get at Trump's, you know, what's happening in his head. And it can't be done, but we can speculate and just kind of talk about it. What's his motivation for tweeting? And and is it that he really cares about what's happening to Roger Stone? Is it that he feels attacked? Is it that he can see that this, these sorts of allegations and accusations are coming for him at some point? And this is partly laying the groundwork for his own arguments about why he shouldn't go to prison. Am I overthinking it all? And he just likes to tweet and he hates people. And so that's what's happening. I, I, I think maybe all of the above, but okay. say one, two, and four. <laughs> right. But his, I really think that he sees, I mean, he sees the world through a conspiratorial lens. And I think he really thinks that the justice, not the justice department, um, that a lot of the, the former prosecutors are, this is all a witch hunt and everybody is after him. And that what happened to Roger Stone was a travesty of justice. And so I really think it, it, this, when you think about this through, a, you know, it's all a conspiracy theory. That's, I think, what's driving him. And it, it isn't sound, rational, you know, decision making. Um, it's it, he's a reflex machine, and when it feels like somebody in his orbit is being attacked, he is going to strike back, no matter what the damage is. I, mean, I think he also knows what what buttons to push too. Yeah, you know, kind of going back to the populism thing, this does play with the base to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think there are many things that he does that aren't directly related to vote count and trying to to garner support, especially during election season for his base. Yeah, yeah this I, I, I don't necessarily think I do think there is a personality aspect to it. And he likes to attack people, you know, for the 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 slightest of reasons. But in the end, he is a showman, too. Sure. And he likes to be liked and he knows what people like. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think a, a significant part of it is a performance more than. Anything. Yeah. If, if we think about the Michael Flynn angle, it's, it's sort of to circle back to, to Bill Barr. Bill Barr is now looking into the charges against Michael Flynn to see whether they were appropriate or not. And, and 
and in this case, at least on two occasions, Michael Flynn in front of a judge has publicly said, I am guilty. And the second time in front of the judge, the judge said to him, now you have suggested elsewhere that you are not guilty. So I'm going to give you the opportunity. Are you really guilty or are you not guilty? And he said, judge, I'm guilty. (laughs) And so if that's the case, if the individual is saying I'm guilty, you know, why is Bill Barr going into this? That's that's the thing that strikes me is not just Trump's orbit, but, you know, why is Bill Barr saying, I think we need to look into this? It, it really is stunning. Hasn't Flynn tried to withdraw his confession again now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. After after admitting guilt twice. Right. And it, which makes you wonder, is he doing this because he now knows that Bill Barr is there? There may be a more receptive audience, but what does that do to your legal system when you admit guilt, you admit guilt again, uh, and then you know somebody comes in and now you're like, well, I've got a different opportunity with a different attorney general. It just, there's no consistency and it's really, really messy. Mm-hmm. How long, what's your, what's your bet? Uh, how long until Roger Stone gets pardoned? Let's see, when does he go in? Sit now? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure when he gets sent to. Yeah, he probably has to come back for sentencing, right? So, yeah. I mean, I mean, for the well, no, no, the sentencing was today. So sentencing, they, they take you straight to prison afterwards. All right. So I'm assuming as they put the cuffs on, they take him off at the same time. Yeah, you get out of here. He's <laughs> the white collar guys. You get to go home for a while and then you come back because Manafort. Remember, Manafort went home yeah. for what six weeks right. or something before mm-hmm. he came back in. That's right. I, I would just run then. I'm like, okay, you would run. I'm gone. (laughs) I'm swimming to Cuba or something. This is getting some at some point in the future. I can picture this. You are going to be in court in a sentencing hearing or a bail hearing, and they're going to pull up episode 159 of Barstool Politics. (laughs) He said he'd run. He talks about how he will run given the chance. (laughs) We're going to hit on pardons, but I think there's no question that it's coming and it's likely coming soon. And we'll talk about the pardons in just a second. But I mean, that, that seems to be setting the stage for what's coming. Trump is going to do a lot more. And and I think Stone, Flynn, all these guys, Manafort, they're all looking for a potential pardon. I, I think the argument, uh, the conventional wisdom would have been Trump waits until after the election, right, to, to pardon. And then either he's at that point, he's either won re-election or he's running out of time to grant a pardon. I, I don't, I don't, he doesn't seem to be, especially post impeachment, he doesn't seem to be uh, playing by those sorts of rules. And I could see him uh, very well thinking that a pardon of Roger Stone plays into his reelection and that oh, yeah. it fires up the base. And also, so I, I'm kind of like, I could see it. I could see it, him waiting a little bit. I could even, I could see him deciding to wait until election season to do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't think we make it out of, uh, I don't know. I think, yeah. So if I gave you August as a date, do you go earlier or later than August? What's your prediction? Or earlier. Earlier? Yeah. Earlier? And, uh, August, yeah. September. You think? No, yeah, I'd probably say earlier too. That's that's cutting it a little close. What I'm wondering too is is when it comes, and I think there's in, it's inevitable that it comes. Does he pardon them individually? So does he do Stone, Flynn, and Manafort, or does he do one day where they all get a pardon? Everybody involved. Uh, that is a spectacle. So I would say all at once. Yeah, because then he can, I mean, talk about, he wants to craft this narrative that this was a witch hunt, deep state. He does them all at once. That's what I'm thinking. It's going to be just this, and it'll just be this huge story that will rock the the political system for, mm-hmm. you know, six hours. <laughs> I had a friend... <laughs> 
I had a friend this week online who made a reference to the uh, the Batman episode when the penguin gets elected mayor and lets all the other criminals out of prison. <laughs> I thought that was pretty brilliant. Oh, that is pretty good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Should we talk about beer? Let's do it. Yes, sir. So, Phil, what are you enjoying? So tonight I'm drinking uh, a beer called Distant Gardens. It's from Definitive Brewing Company, which is out of... Somewhere in Maine, and this is a dr- double dry hopped, double IPA. So you got lots of doubles in there. Um, it's just really not. It's really good, actually. I I really like this beer. Um, hoppy. It's got the bitterness, but it's not over the top. I'm I'm really digging the double dry hopped stuff lately, um, and which is why I also need to talk about last night when we tried to record but could not. I drank uh, a double dry hopped Melcher Street IPA, which is from Trillium Brewing Company, which is out of Boston, mm-hmm. which is one of the top. It and Treehouse uh, and Hill Farmstead are these all three New England that are breweries that are always at the top. And this was one of my favorite beers that I've ever had, this double dry hopped Melcher Street. It's, it was, I don't know, it's uh, you know ranked 100 and something on. Uh, so I've had beers that are ranked higher, but I just, this one was great. It was like pineapple-y. It was, it was dry. It was like, it was just, it was fantastic. Both of these are really good, but that Melcher Street, double dry hop Melcher Street is, was phenomenal. Nice. That's a good review. Nick, um, more Treehouse more for us? More Treehouse, which was good. Uh, so the first one we had was a Catharsis, which is uh, an American porter uh, brewed with chocolate and caramel malts. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. everything that we've had from Treehouse is good. Um, and we certainly like our, our stouts and porters yeah. on here. Um, yeah, like this was, we had one yesterday. And I cannot for the life of me remember what it was. Oh, it was that uh, pu- uh, the pug, the oatmeal stout? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, was it Lincoln Wood? Yeah, that sounds right. Something like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was probably just making shit up right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, like that one was, it had like a pretty solid bitterness to it. Um, almost a, a, a burnt. The one yesterday. Yeah. That wasn't as good. No, this was, um, it was very smooth and you could definitely, it had a, a, a subtle sweetness to it and you would think it's, you know, chocolate and caramel malt. It would be pretty, pretty heavy on the sugar. Um, no, it was well balanced. It was smooth. Um, I liked it a lot. Like again, Treehouse. I we have not had a bad beer from them. And I think we've, we Tom said this a few weeks ago. Treehouse, all of their beers are slightly different. So mm-hmm. this was, you know, we, we've had a lot of porters, but this one just was like just a tad different. And yeah. that there's something fun about that. Mm-hmm. The second beer that we tried was an M43 from uh, New Orthodox out of uh, let's see, was out of Mit- uh, Michigan. I can't remember where in Michigan, uh, but I love this one. This is an IPA, and we have a lot of IPAs on this podcast, and and most of them are pretty standard. This is just delightful. It's it's <laughs> light. It's got a little bit of that citrusy hops in it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is so our handyman who works in the house from time to time, Ken, brought me a couple of these when he was up at the brewery in Michigan, and I'm telling you, this is this is a special IPA. It's juicy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's one of the New England style IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well done. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to find or uh, check out all of our uh, reviews, uh, find us on Untapped, which you can download on iOS or Android. Just search for Barstool Politics and you will find all of that. Speed rounds. Correct. Yeah. 
Speed round. I love I love that <laughs> Phil's reading the intro. This is great. <laughs> Everything's upside down today. <laughs> Guys, Trump has finally gotten around to draining the swamp. On Tuesday, it was announced that Trump had pardoned several high-profile figures convicted of federal crimes. The list included former San Francisco 49ers uh, owner Eddie DeBartolo Jr., who pleaded guilty to covering up a felony extortion plot. Former New York Police Commissioner Bernie Kirk Carrick, who pleaded guilty to tax fraud. Junk bond king Michael Milken, who pleaded guilty to securities fraud. He also commuted the sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, who was convicted in 2009 of attempting to sell the Senate seat vacated by Barack Obama, among other things. There were other pardons issued as well, but it's worth noting that Carrick is a friend and former bodyguard of Rudy Giuliani and a frequent defender of Trump on Fox News. Milken's good buddies with the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Mnuchin? Mnuchin? Mnuchin. Yeah. Why can't yeah. I remember that? One of those. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Blagojevich was a contestant on The Celebrity Apprentice. And according to Trump, quote, seemed like a nice person. So some suspect that these actions may have been a message to other Trump associates and are likely tied to Stone's sentencing. Others have pointed out that the crimes in question are a lot like the types of crimes that Trump might eventually be charged with upon leaving office. Bill, what do you make of it all? And is it a sign of what's to come in Trump's post-impeachment administration? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> the, the thing about the, this was that these are weird pardons. The Blagojevich, all of that. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're Nick and I are in Illinois and Blagojevich is as guilty as it comes. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, and there's this there's a there's a Trump element to Blagojevich, uh, to Bartolo, all of this. Yes, absolutely. This is this is what we should expect out of a post Mueller report post impeachment Trump. It's going to be radical. It's going to be wild. It's going to be him seeking vengeance for those he hates. And the other thing about this list is these are all people who are close to Trump, uh, friends, associates, or people that he thinks are interesting. Pardons are always tricky and usually complicated and bad. Um, but these are just stupid. I mean, that's that was my reaction when I heard this. This is this is this is idiocy. <laughs> Oh. I, I found it really the Blagojevich thing. I, and maybe that's just because, like you said, we're in, in Illinois and we've kind of heard this story from the beginning. He he's a scumbag. Oh, like, you yes. know, the, tapes of him literally just selling this seat wasn't even yeah. trying to hide it. it it's it's blatant. Um, and then he gets out and I was listening to it. I happened to listen to him as he was uh, uh, leaving prison. And he just, he sounds like this. He was, he said he was a political prisoner. Yeah. Like, like he that was, in, was something in, else. you know, a re-education camp in China. It was, <laughs> he sounded like a lunatic. Yeah. Um, they did a press conference from his house the next day. Yes. Oh, God. And then, you know, he's talking about, and I, I don't know. I think there's, you know, obviously a lot of this is centered around uh, Trump just kind of sticking to the people who, who quote unquote, put him through this yeah. process. Uh, and sticking it to the Democrats specifically. And Blagojevich was, you know, very forthcoming in saying, yeah, um, I was a Democrat. Um, my party affiliation right now is I, I'm, I'm a Trumpocrat. It's like, oh, it's, nice. like, you know, you know, that played. To, oh, yeah. Uh, um, even even uh, Illinois Republicans, I think that played to some extent. But, you know, it. it while I was thinking about it and listening to members of the the Illinois Republican Party, like nobody can really figure this one out and nobody seems to be OK with it. Uh, and I think that's kind of the theme 
across a lot of uh, of the pardons that that we saw over the past few days. It's it's just bizarre. There's no reason or logic to it. And there's going to be more coming. I mean, other the only logic is people he likes, right? I mean, this is going to be this is going to be a loyalty thing where mm -hmm. the people that he enjoys will get pardoned. Uh, you know, not for any legitimate reasons other than they've been nice to Trump. Mm -hmm. Phil, what do you make of all this? I mean, there's there's several things that I find interesting about it. One of which, I, I, I mean, do you remember that that there was there were Republicans were convinced that Obama was going to pardon Blagojevich, and they were like up in arms about it at one point. Um, <laughs> and of course, now that. it's happening, and nobody's saying it's happened, and nobody cares. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's another part, which is that Trump. There, there's this is a glimpse inside Trump's mind because when he talks about people who are accused of, you know, tax fraud or corruption or the the sorts of things that he does, it's like I think it's for him it's impossible. Like it is a grave injustice for anyone to ever be found guilty of this because this is just this is just you know life. This is just how it works. So I think that like shows a little bit about who he is. And then my third point or my third idea thought about this is that I the part. I, as I've thought about this, I come around to the idea that the pardon is stupid. I just don't think it's yeah. the, it, it shouldn't. I mean, if you, the founders even talked about it as it was this sort of slide towards, you know, monarchy or whatever. If we believe in a justice system, if somebody like I know that there have been pardons that have been given in cases of grave injustice. But if there's a grave injustice, the justice system should figure that out and sort it out. The idea that one individual gets to just wipe away anyone's guilt, it's its just a recipe for corruption. It, I, it just, I, it's a bizarre thing to me. I don't understand endowing one person with the ability to do this. Well, if, if we connect our first two topics, this is what happens in authoritarian systems where they don't fully get rid of the rule of law, right? They keep the rule of law, but that rule of law is a reflection of the political interests of those in power. They use the law. I mean, think about what happened in Venezuela uh, with Chavez and Maduro. I mean, there was the rule of law, but it was meant to, to target those who were against the regime. And that's not where the United States is now. But Trump is predisposed or, or is drifting in that direction where he sees, you know, using the Justice Department to go after those who are against him and use pardons to those to support those who like him. It's just it, that's re it's a really it's you're on thin ice when that that starts to develop. I, I, I you don't you don't like it. No, 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 no. I, I agree. The pardon is ridiculous, but I think it's been ridiculous throughout American history. And I think every president has done this. And again, this is an example of Trump being exceptionally blatant about what he does, but still using the lever that's provided to him. We should just get rid of the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And again, this is one of those things where norms continue to fail us and nobody seems to want to plug the hole. So I don't know. Norms well, are stupid. No, that, that's right. I mean, because we think about the there is there are rules, but the norms are the ones that guide us. The institutional restraint. Pre previous presidents have had the ability to do this. But they had the restraint to say, I'm not going to push as far as I potentially could for the benefit of the institution as a whole. No. The, other, the other strange thing is that Trump has not issued that many pardons. If you no. look like historically, uh, previous presidents have issued far more. Now, that's partly because there's a tendency to issue a, a you know a shitload of these as you're on the way out the door. Um, but uh, it's not. Yeah, it's it's not the number of you. It's it, like it's the the yeah. way he's using Kinda. it. Right. It's like what what's his name? Sheriff Arpaio is that, you know, they're, like yeah. the people that he's pardoning are just. Yeah, it, it's 
it's screwed up. There, there are always bad pardons, and and we can go back to Bill Clinton and Rich and all of those. Those were those were bad, but there also are a lot of good reasons to pardon somebody, right? There are miscarriages of justice, but that's none of these, right? None of these are. Blagojevich, you don't des- know. <laughs> Blagojevich deserves to be in jail, and he should still think about what he's done for another like six years. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. Even in that miscarriage, I know we need to move on, but even in that miscarriage of justice, and and some. It, it's the idea again of like wanting some you know superhero to come in and do it there's some authoritarian fantasy involved in that so if it is that you know uh, all of the people in prison for you know small marrow you know small amounts of marijuana possession if that's unjust uh, it still shouldn't be up to a single person to like the idea that one person's going to come in and undo the entire system is in and of itself sort of an authoritarian, it is an authoritarian yeah. thing. Like, let's do it. Like, if there's a, a wrong in the system, let's take it on. Let's fix the system as opposed to one person on a whim that no one can undo comes in and makes this decision. It's, yeah. Anyway. So, I, 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 again, yeah, like you said, I know we need to move on. Um, like, in in a a different scenario, like... A significant amount of uh, Americans think that the justice system or Congress or both or most levers of government are corrupt and inefficient. And if this was someone else who we thought was principled and doing the right thing with certain people, would we be okay with that? Because realistically, it's still not it's not the rule of law. Like, it makes no sense. There's no reason for them to do it other than we'll feel good about it because we think that the system doesn't work. Well, I think the reason for the pardon is that the system isn't always perfect. And so you want to have one individual who can see over the entire system and the most egregious mistakes and try to fix those. So so I oh, wouldn't... Like I, a benevolent dictator. <laughs> no, no, no. The idea that that... that you know, even it, when the system operates at its best, it's still going to make some mistakes. And so to give that outlet to fix those is reasonable. But that's not what's happening here. This is not Trump isn't making these decisions on miscarriages of justice. He's making it on who his friends are. And and, and a lot of presidents do, maybe not to the degree of Trump. Which is the problem with leaving it up to one person. As you were right, talking, right, I was thinking yeah. there should be some pan- panel. We should give this mm. power of pardon to the Supreme Court. They can pardon people. But then I'm like, but they 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 have that power. Like that's yes, the Supreme right. Court, right? To overview, to oversee abuses of justice and all of these other things. So I, the idea again of coming back around to one person gets to just hand out get out of jail free cards is is again a weird thing. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I'd like a get out of jail free card. <laughs> Me too. Do they actually hand those out at some point? In Monopoly, they do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Yep. So the third key battle in the nomination process for Democrats takes place this coming Saturday in Nevada, I think is how it's properly pronounced. Nevada is how it's really pronounced, Uh, where polls show that Bernie has a strongish lead of about 26%, and basically a six-way battle for second between a free-falling Joe Biden uh, a sort of surging Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, everybody's favorite billionaires, Mike Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, and an Elizabeth Warren who is apparently set on destroying Mike Bloomberg and everything he loves. <laughs> All six have between 9 and 14% support in the polls, and Nevada is fairly representative of other states that are coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, this is a mess for Democrats who would love to have a candidate to rally around, but the failure of a clear leader or two to emerge from the field has raised the prospects of a brokered convention in which no candidate has enough delegates to win outright at the convention in Milwaukee. In fact, 
538 now says that a brokered conviction convention is the most likely outcome at about two and five, about 41% chance. Uh, Bernie, who is the most likely candidate to win, uh, has about a 30 ish, 30, 35% chance. Um, so Bill, you're from Milwaukee and have no doubt kept in touch with all the power brokers there. Uh, so Indeed. if a candidate can emerge in time to avoid the brokered convention, did the debate make a difference in any of that? And if not, what's going to happen? And is there any way for the Democrats to navigate this without shooting themselves in the foot? No, of course not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. A couple thoughts occur to me. One is we should be cautious because every single presidential primary that I can remember at one point during that primary, there's a conversation about we're going to have a brokered convention. And it rarely, I mean, what is it? The, the 1950s, the last time it really happened. So, so, so that's important to say that we oftentimes predict a brokered convention that doesn't happen. That being said, this feels like there's the, the, the structure of it could really play out. Bernie is certainly in the lead. But it doesn't feel like Bernie has his – there's a limit to the number of Democrats who are going to like him. So he feels like he'll stick in that 30 35%, but he's not going to emerge – or he doesn't strike me as he's going to be emerge as a consensus candidate. So then what does that mean for the others? Well, the more moderate candidates, there's a whole bunch of them. You know, it's, it's not as if it was Biden and Bernie because that could be kind of interesting. It would be similar to a, to a Hillary and an Obama primary. So you're going to have a whole bunch of them. A lot of them have money. They're fairly strong candidates. I mean, even Elizabeth Warren, who everybody was writing her off, had a really good debate. Uh, and now it feels like she might emerge back into this. So, you know, it, it's it's going to be messy all the way through. So it, it, and we should tell our listeners how a broker convention works. because I think that's really fascinating. Um, the delegates from the states are pledged to particular candidates. So you go to the convention. That first round, they're supposed to vote for their candidate. If there isn't a clear winner, then they're free to move. And that's when it could get really, really exciting. And I do think that could be bad news for a, a Bernie Sanders campaign. I, I don't know if all of the Democratic Party is going to get behind Bernie Sanders. So so I, to answer your question, I think it's 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 not likely to happen. But of all the years we've had these conversations, this could be the one. Mm -hmm. And it would be so exciting political scientists bloodbath. political scientists are just waiting for something <laughs> like this to happen the great milwaukee massacre of Mil 2020 it's, it's milwaukee no. <laughs> <laughs> um a couple points on that uh there are no moderate candidates in here i just want to make that blatantly obvious there Biden? are lunatic candidates and you know slightly you know, <laughs> less far left um I, they after watching, not watching, but after uh, looking through extensively all of the uh, the sound bites and clips from the uh, the debate last night, um, they're they're vicious. Like I I don't know. <laughs> like you're you're right. I, Bernie isn't going to compromise anything, and I think a, a a fair amount of his supporters are not going to compromise on anything, regardless of what people say. Um, and there's some you know some principle behind that, but it's also not good politics. And there are a lot of Democrats who, who really don't like Sanders and the Sanders camp because right. of that. Right. <clears throat> but then you do have this more, again, quote unquote, moderate um, subsection or, or, or large portion of, uh, of the democratic candidates who are just similar enough to where there's not a lot of differentiation between them. And, they were they were ripping each other to shreds last night. Um, <clears throat> Buttigieg and Klobuchar were just 
just vicious with each other. <laughs> they do not uh, like each other. No, they don't at all. Um, and then Mayor Peach should have been eating a salad with a comb during the. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, Scorched Earth Warren is taking them both to task, talking about you know you you have a, a healthcare policy that could fit on a post-it note, you know, like it's like it's a comedy show, like it's Def Jam, like what I I. I at some point, we're far enough into this cycle where there needs to be some sort of coalescence around some sort of idea or some sort of policy position. And nobody has been able to do that yet. There has been no goodwill shown towards anybody. And Biden is just out there going, well, I did stuff, so I don't know what you guys are talking about. And that's his only point. It's 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 just it's it's crazy to me. That, but it, that's democracy, Nick, right? No, I'm, not, not. I'm not concerned about that. I think that, you know, who... As long as it's not Sanders, the Democratic Party as a whole will get behind and they probably will even get behind Bernie Sanders. So this can be ugly. It can be terrible. That's not a big deal. The Republican Party primary, you know, in 2016 was ugly in the same way. And they got through it. Yeah, they, they, the divisiveness is not unusual. I, th I think the way it's played out this time is unusual in that it, it, in that what would have happened is you would have had people who did badly in New Hampshire and Iowa drop out. Um, but what happened is the people who had the smallest national uh, network, the Klobuchar and Buttigieg did well there. So they have the momentum and the people who have the money and the national, uh, well, the, the sort of network, Elizabeth Warren has, you know, uh, this extensive network all over the country as does Joe Biden. And then, so they, there's no incentive for them to drop out. They've invested in these future States. And then you've got Steyer and Bloomberg who have no incentive to drop out at all because they, it's just their, their own money. And so, uh, yeah, it, it seems like there's this particular, I don't know, coalescence of circumstances that means that it's not getting thinned down. The problem, and, and I think the perfect storm that makes this a disaster for the Democrats is that in the old days of smoke-filled rooms and whatnot, what would happen if there was not no one with a majority is that deals would be made between the Biden delegates and the Buttigieg delegates and the Klobuchar delegates and whatever, and they would coalesce to have to find a majority, right? right. That would beat out Bernie Sanders. Um, but what is the likely outcome if there's no winner is that Bernie will have the plurality. And so you, the Democratic Party will be put in the place of having to either choose a candidate that did not have the most delegates to who didn't have the plurality or choosing Bernie Sanders, who's not a Democrat and who most of them don't really like. And that's hard to win that. Right. I, I, I can't see them holding their noses and voting for Bernie. But no. that's going to be disastrous to pick somebody who didn't have the most uh, votes. Although people have already started pointing out that last time around, Bernie was making the argument that even though I don't have the most delegates, you should choose me because I'm, I'm the best. So that's going to come back to bite him. It, it kind of feels like how they pick a pope, right? I mean, it's the same dynamics. It's not who do you really want, but who do you not want to get there? And then the question will be of those Democratic candidates. So you're right. Maybe Klobuchar hates Mayor Pete now, but does she hate Mayor Pete more or Bernie Sanders? And, it, you know, when it gets to the convention time, you can be, you know, you can be a kingmaker in that way. And so that forces people to come together. Yeah, it it, it, it reminds me also a little bit about when Tiger Woods was a good golfer and it was Tiger versus the wood, uh, the field. And you wonder whether Bernie is that kind of candidate, right? Is he the guy? And do you pick the field, which is all these other Democrats? And I, I still pick them over Bernie.
I think one of them will emerge more likely than Bernie emerges. Mm-hmm. So. They're running out of time to do that, though, with Super yes. Tuesday coming up. They've got to, something has to happen soon. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> that was a fun one. All right. So let's stick with the election for a few more minutes. Um, as of our recording tonight, uh, predicted markets have the three most likely winners of this November's election as Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Mike, Mike Bloomberg. Although he has, Ooh. as Nick pointed out, sort of collapsed in, since last night. He's still number three as of right now. That is, that's stunning. Yeah. Um, I, I should take the, we should put all our money on the no. For Bloomberg. <laughs> uh, none of these three candidates fit the traditional mold of a presidential candidate or how someone comes to the nomination. In fact, there are arguments to be made that Bloomberg and Bernie have taken cues from Trump's playbook. Neither is a traditional Democrat. Uh, Bernie didn't, I mean, uh, Bloomberg didn't switch to the Democratic Party until like a year ago. Um, Bloomberg has avoided the old model of retail politics that involves shaking hands and meeting voters. He never set foot in New Hampshire or Iowa. Um, instead, he's just thrown money at an ad campaign that builds name recognition, which was something that worked for Trump four years ago. And his ads have, haven't just taken on Trump. They've started to focus in on other Democrats in a sort of Trumpian attack kind of way. Uh, he had released an ad this week attacking Bernie and his supporters. Speaking of which, Bernie has received growing criticism for the way he is running his campaign, an all-or-nothing, us-versus-them, with-us-or-against-us approach that has led to scuffles at his rallies, alleged nastiness from his supporters, particularly online. This week, Elizabeth Warren called on Bernie to rein in his supporters, saying that this is not how we build an inclusive Democratic Party. And Bernie also this week announced that he will follow Trump's lead in refusing to release any more health records following his recent heart attack, something he had promised to do in the past. So my question for the two of you is that are we... Are we seeing the Trumpification of the Democratic Party? Are we seeing the Democratic Party go in the direction of of Trump? And if so, is this a bad development or is it about time? Is it brilliant that the Democrats are finally coming around to this? Yes, no. (laughs) I will say yes, no as well. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, next topic. (laughs) (laughs) No, to me. This is this. Uh, yes, I, I absolutely think the Democratic Party is it won't be the Trumpification won't be similar to Trump, but it'll be similar tactics. And especially Bloomberg, I I, I still think Bloomberg gets all money. He's just buying his, his prominence. But Bernie's behavior reminds me a lot of what Trump has done and again in a different ideological position. But it's a no holds bars. You know, we have to do everything we can to win because our ideas are so powerful that there's no room for moderation. There's no room for tolerance. I mean, you know, Bernie hasn't said he would support a a moderate candidate. And that's not again, it's not how you build an inclusive party. I mean, it's just it's it, it terrifies me the potential power that Bernie has and his supporters have. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a delicate conversation to have, but Bernie supporters online are not always behaving well. The Bernie bros? <laughs> yes. And to, to Bernie's credit, last night he called some of them, some of them out to say, I don't endorse that kind of behavior. But it's it's not dissimilar to how some of Trump supporters behave online. And the worst thing you want is to oscillate between a far right Trump candidate and a far left extremist populist candidate, right? That is, that doesn't bring the country together. You're pissing off a lot of people right now. I know, I know, absolutely. But, (laughs) but we're not even talking about ideology here. I think it's just about how you, the ability to tolerate other candidates. Historically, we had a political system where you may not have agreed with the other candidate, but you accepted their right to be in power. And Trump, totally rejects that. I mean, his the way he demonizes and calls the other side the enemy is, is abhorrent. 
And you're getting a similar feel out of some of those in the Bernie camp. And it scares me because they need to be better than that. You can't let your fear of Trump drive you into those similar tactics. Mm -hmm. They're they're just not as good, (laughs) to be honest. No, that's fair. You want to talk about Bernie uh, in those situations. And I I think that's true. There is a a Trumpification to that. But there is a, a significant ideological component to it, too, where there is zero room for compromise, not only, you know, towards Republicans, but pretty much every other Democratic candidate and their supporters as well, which is, to your point, exceptionally scary. Um, I I think Bloomberg was the attempt of the Democratic establishment to create, for lack of a better term, a a, a Trump clone in in their own image. I think he's, in essence, the, the same person. But because of the space, the ideological space that the Democratic Democratic Party occupies, it doesn't work. And there's enough dissension within that about what makes the 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 core of the the Democratic ethos that you can never have something that people can coalesce around the way that the Republican Party and you know people who identify as Republicans and you know quote unquote MAGA loving Americans. Um, can can rally around Trump. There's there's you've you've fractured yourselves into so many different camps, into so many different ideological uh, ideological conceptions that there's no way that you will ever be as effective as as Trump is at his own game. But it's not possible. The difference between Bloomberg and Trump is that the Republican Party did the same thing to Trump in 2016, but he was good enough in that political process where the voters loved him You're and right. got behind him. Bloomberg was was abysmal. I mean, he was terrible. They started mm-hmm. attacking him the same way the Republicans did, and he couldn't be outrageous and populist and a demagogue. And that means it's probably the end of his Wait, candidacy. That's why that will never, ever work in the Democratic Party. <laughs> I'm not as convinced as you two that Bloomberg's done. I, I So oh, I he, oh, Trump, Trump, Trump did terrible in debates, too. I mean, he was he you know, he had more personality to it. But Bloomberg had a new like you said, a whole new ad campaign out today based on with clips totally pasted together from the debate that made it look good. When you have four hundred million dollars and you can just blast your message everywhere, uh, then it doesn't, you know, what this, so, you know, the, the thing that was great about Trump is that what he capitalized on was hatred of Obama, right? Like it was about like those bastards on the other side, you know, we're tired of taking your shit and you, you know, you're with us and, and enough of this old way of doing it. That's what Bloomberg's doing, right? Like there's not substance to what he's saying. It's all about hatred of Trump, which is in some ways good. There more candidates need to be attacking Trump on his, you know, on his record, but the Bloomberg stuff just seems some of the stuff that his ads are just, you know, like, I I don't, it's not substantive, right? It's just, if you hate Trump too, then vote for me, which I, I, I don't know. I think if you spend enough money on those ads, more people see those ads than see that debate last night. And so I, you know, I, who knows? He's He's absolutely right. Phil, you're right. No, he's, he's not, at least for the foreseeable future, he's not going anywhere. I think that the difference between the two is, and I, I briefly talked about it last week, is that the the levers that go after Trump are also going after Bloomberg in this situation, um, mainly mainstream media and social media. And, you know, like you said, there's there are um, campaigns that he put out today, piecing things together from the debate to make it look better. And people were ripping him apart 
for it, not whatever it was, three hours, you know, after the debate. And there is this just kind of, you know, snaking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) eating its own tail kind of mentality within the Democratic Party still to where, you know, this is just abhorrent and we can't allow this to happen. And if, you know, the media isn't going to do it and establishment establishment Democrats aren't going to do it, we're going to do it ourselves. And this just self implosion of of ideology that I'm not sure that that they'll be able to recover from that in time to make a, a, a good run at the election. It's I don't they're I think they're in trouble. No, I. I- I think when you think about all the, I re, I'm always reminded of Hillary and and Obama's campaign, and I remember so many people, whether you were a Hillary supporter or Obama supporter, saying, "I'm never going to support that other side," and they did. You know, the Hillary supporters supported Obama, and in the moment, you hate the other side, and then that hatred shifts, right? So you hate what, and then you're like, "Oh, I hate Trump more." So hate again, more powerful than love, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the thing, you know. I, the 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 exit polls out of New Hampshire uh, pointed out that something like seventy percent of voters said that the thing that mattered most was beating Trump. That policy was not it, right? So that it, which is again, I think there's something about you know, like that's that's the thing that people get pissed at the Republicans about, right? That people you know hate Trump and don't like what he stands for, but it was more important to beat Democrats, and so I'm going to vote for this guy, and I. I don't I don't doubt that the Democrats could go that route uh, with with some because, you know, I think that's the thing that has Bloomberg doing well is that people think that he can he can fight with with Trump. And again, we haven't even talked and we so need to stop. But the fascinating thing about this, I think, is, you know, as much as I talk about norms, uh, what I see in the Bernie thing, it's not fair to compare Bernie to Trump in terms of like uh, magnitude but what but again you know when trump refuses to release you know his taxes or whatever it starts to change the notions of what is acceptable right and and when democrats start to take him up on that even if it's in smaller ways it's an example of how the the process is is changing we i mean we could talk a whole bunch about bernie and health records but it's a it's it's an interesting thing i think no i think that's right trump has set that new norm where you don't have to do this and the public is not going to hold you accountable for it before trump that wouldn't have worked yeah. and so bloomberg can say oh i'll i'll re- you know i've got it's so many years and complicated i'll give you some Something, and he won't. Bernie's not going to release his health reports, and it won't. It won't cost either of them. And yeah, that's just the new norm. Yeah. Shall we move on? Let's yes. do it. Well, boys, it's only been a few weeks since Rush Limbaugh was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his tireless devotion to our country. And this week, he used his new role as America's leading thinker to question whether Americans are ready to vote for a man who quote loves to kiss his husband on a debate stage. Nick, do you have the tape? I think I might. <laughs> okay. Here we go. They're sitting there and they're looking at Mayor Pete. 37-year-old gay guy, Mayor South Bend, loves to kiss his husband on the debate stage. And they're saying, okay, how's this going to look? 37-year-old gay guy kissing his husband on stage next to Mr. Man Donald Trump. What? What's going to happen there? And they got to be looking at that. And they've got to be saying... That despite all the great progress and despite all the great wokeness and despite all the great ground that's been covered, America's still not ready to elect a gay guy kissing his husband on the debate stage. <laughs> so many dramatic pauses. <laughs> they have to be saying this, don't they? 
Uh, now, some Democrats who think that is the ticket. There may be some Democrats who think that's exactly what we need to do, Rush. Get a gay guy kissing his husband on stage, you ram it down Trump's throat, and beat him in a, in a general election. Really? Up. Having fun envisioning that. All right. That's about all the rush I can handle. <laughs> so uh, Pete Buttigieg responded by saying that he isn't taking lectures on family values from Rush Limbaugh. And yesterday, I guess actually the on Tuesday, Rush said that Trump had called him personally to say that he should never apologize for his comments. Um, this controversy probably works to rally both sides' bases in some ways. But I, I'm kind of interested to talk about the bigger issue at the heart of it. Um, it, it is really remarkable and historically significant that a gay man is currently leading the delegate count for a major party's presidential nomination. It's not getting that much play. Um, Buttigieg's sexuality hasn't been much of hasn't played much of a role in the Democratic primary process. But uh, is, I don't know, it's not as rush right, but is there something to this? Well, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't played much uh, a role thus far, but what do you think? Is, what, what will that, how will that play out in a national election? It, it's, again, a fascinating question. And, and I think having the conversation now is different than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it hasn't played an issue. And I'm, I, so if we think about some of the big the big sort of sexuality is a big issue. Gender is a big issue. Race is a big issue. I get the sense that Buttigieg's, Buttigieg's being gay is not as significant as it would have been, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Okay. And I, I think Limbaugh's wrong on this. I think he is stuck in a previous generation, the current generation, and even, you know, Nick, your generation, my generation, sort of we've moved past that. It's, it's old news. Um, and Buttigieg is in many ways a perfect vessel to be the first gay candidate uh, to be running like this because, you know, he's he's from South Bend, blue collar guy. Uh, he looks all of like 13, you know, you, I mean, he just looks like a young guy. I mean, he looks like he, uh, he looks like a 40 year old who people say looks like a young guy. He doesn't look like a young guy today on the internet. I saw a picture of him. really old. So. I know that's right. It's true. You're a bad judge. I saw a picture on the internet of him and they had uh, uh, put a, a, a Tom Selleck mustache on him. I saw that too. It was fantastic. <laughs> oh, that, Tom, that, that mustache works everywhere. So I, I really don't think it's going to be an issue. Um, I think it's still harder to run as a woman than it is as a gay man. And I think Obama as you know, as a black man was elected. I think we can elect a gay man. I think we're still struggling with electing a woman. I think that might be the bigger barrier to the presidency. But what, what do you all think? Um, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with all of those mm. points. Um, I, I, this is, this is red meat to, like you guys said, to, to either base at this point, which in my opinion, that just kind of cancels the, 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 the thought out. Um, whenever you talk to, or whenever I talk to Republicans and, and uh, potential Democratic nominees, Buttigieg's sexuality never comes hmm. up. It's the fact that none of them are, are, have any substance to the issues that they're talking about. Or, you know, that they're socialists or something like that. And realistically, it turns to communism more than anything. Um, yeah, the sexuality thing, that, that's that's a, a concept and a, a taboo that I don't think a lot of, you know, mainstream Americans really care about at this point. Which this is, is stunning. That right. is a stunning development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's 
yeah, the speed at which is which it happened um, is is pretty remarkable. But I think it also shows that there, regardless of that, I think that's an un, unintended consequence of the kind of uh, uh, party centralization and uh, uh, just general ideological allegiance, um, as opposed to these disparate kind of elements that used to be. Uh, anathema to gaining political influence. Um, people are more interested in winning and they don't necessarily care how they win or, you know, the the intricacies of who the person is that's going to help them win. Don't, don't downplay Will and Grace's effect as well. That, oh, that show God. that show did a lot oh. to it for the mainstream American voter. It just wasn't funny. So- <laughs> it has nothing to do with them being gay. It just wasn't funny. Just Jack- like the Big Bang Theory wasn't funny. Oh, no. Look. All right, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to hold off on that. <laughs> I, so I have a slightly different take, and it's probably because I come out of a Southern Baptist background in, in Texas. Um, I, I don't know that I come to a different conclusion, but I, I, I think it does matter to a chunk of society still. I think this is still a divisive issue for a lot of people. Um, I, but I, I think I come around to if you're a voter – who isn't going to vote for Pete Buttigieg because he's gay. You were never going to vote for a Democrat anyway. So I I don't know that it's costing Democrats in any real way. I think there are issues. So I think about the voters, the the swing voters, the centrist voters who might go one way or the other. If you're up in the air trying to decide who to vote for, I don't think the sexuality matters. So in that sense, I agree with you. For For the big chunk of voters, there might be people who disagree with him, but in the end, they're voting for other things, right? So so there are people who care very, very strongly about this, who are still very conservative about traditional family values and family roles. But I don't think that, you know, in this next election, if it were Pete Buttigieg versus Donald Trump, I don't know that the fact that the Democratic nominee is gay would necessarily fire up the I, I, to that extent, I think maybe you're right, Bill, that a, a female candidate might fire up people um, more strongly than a, than a gay candidate. And that's that's really remarkable. But I, I, I don't want to I, I don't know the idea that, that this is like, hey, it's totally gone. It's no longer an issue. I don't I don't think that's that's accurate. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's totally gone either. I think that the, the section of society that where it is still a, a major issue has decreased significantly over the past. 10 years or so. And it may be more just those, those centrist independents that, that, that are not going to be worried about Buttigieg's sexuality. Well, you're, you're mm-hmm. right, Phil. It's the, you get into Texas, you get into the South. This is still a major issue. Although I think it's a little bit more difficult to have those conversations about sexuality because the mainstream, I would, I don't know what you'd say, the, the culture has, moved past this. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to find outlets and to have those conversations. And you feel like I shouldn't be able to, to talk about this anymore. Yeah, we have bigger fish to fry. We have communists that are running for office now. We can't have that. I, I think that's, that is going to be, that'll have more traction than, <laughs> you know, Bernie Sanders going to the Soviet Union and hanging out there will have more traction yep. than Buttigieg's sexuality. And, and to Buttigieg's credit, he has not shied away from, from again, kissing, is it, Chase, I can't remember. Chaston is his, yeah. his partner. Um, yeah, th- th- that's important, right? It's it's he is. This is a major development for the country, and you know, I'm pleased to see it. Whether or not he wins the nomination or not, he won't. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Moving All right. on. Last topic. 
so according to a new book, Donald Trump is apparently fascinated by badgers. Uh, yes, badgers. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> At the beginning of his time in office, Donald Trump's chief of staff was Reince Priebus, who just so happens to be from the Badger State, Wisconsin. As a result, Trump would apparently bring up badgers repeatedly and at incredibly inappropriate times, like during briefings on Afghanistan or on the state of healthcare. Trump would ask questions like, how do they work? <laughs> what does that even mean? What? Are they mean to people? What do they eat? Do they have a personality or are they boring? What kind of damage can a badger do to a person with its, quote, flashy, sharp claws? <laughs> He would even ask Priebus to show him pictures of badgers. <laughs> so my question to you is that Trump may be fascinated <laughs> with badgers, but what animal should he be fascinated by? In other words, what is Trump's spirit animal? <laughs> I hadn't read through this last time. Yet, <laughs> and I really wish I would. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Do you have a good spirit animal? No, you please go ahead. All right. So I've thought a lot about this and I'm from Wisconsin, the badger state. Trump is certainly not a badger. There's that's nothing, you know, the badger is dangerous and, you know, threatening. And there aren't actually, I think any of them in Wisconsin, but that doesn't really matter. We have guinea pigs. <laughs> and I, if you've seen a picture of a guinea pig, their hair is crazy. It's all over the place. It grows wild. And the other thing about guinea pigs, they are full of shit. They shit all of the time, all over the place. And so this strikes me as if, if Trump were his spirit animal is a guinea pig, crazy hair, full of shit. Don't guinea pigs make like loud, random noises, too? <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is a good one, Bill. I like it. <laughs> So, Nick, do you still need a minute? I can tell you mine while, while you're... Go ahead. Okay. So, mine, and, and I realized as I was thinking through this just now that there's a second candidate that would fit this as well. The, the one that I came up with was Panda, because pandas are big and sort of clumsy. They're sort of slow moving yeah. and are they, they also serve no purpose. <laughs> They, they are an evolutionary dead end. Like they, they don't do anything. They don't make sense. I realize that manatee could also substitute into that. Just sort of, just kind of floating. Like what the hell is that? What is it doing? Yeah. So that, I, I think, I think panda, kind of sort of clumsy, big, fluffy. Also, what, like they don't make sense. I, yeah. guinea, guinea pig might be better though. You you convinced me pretty pretty well on that. Pretty good. Pandas eat a better diet than Trump. That's for sure. They certainly eat more vegetables. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh God damn it! <laughs> still thinking, Nick. I'm, I'm still thinking. I'm 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 oscillating between the um, the regal American goat. Uh, just because you can feed it just about anything and it'll take anything that you can get it. <laughs> like like the filet of fish Like the filet of fish yes, right. Yes. They're, they're literally, I mean, goats are just made of, you know, other animals' shit yeah. and wrappers and apparently tin cans because that's what you would see on cartoons. And they're ornery. And they are ornery. I knew a yeah. guy got bit by a goat. <laughs> but they're still kind of lovable. But they have those weird devil eyes too. So I don't know. It's kind of a combination of things. Positive yeah. and negative. No, it's I pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People like goats. I don't like goats. 
Well, baby they do, goats. People do yoga with goats, not the mean ones you're talking about. Yeah, but they but don't do them with with full size goats. It's they baby do goats. With baby goats. Well, Trump yeah. was probably nice when he was a baby. Maybe. You think? Yeah. <laughs> Every, well, I don't know. That's yeah. I just envision a smaller Trump. <laughs> He's just a hobbit. So full of hair and obnoxious. He literally is a hobbit. <laughs> God. This is fun. Oh, my God. I'm just going to stop the clock. Oh. On that <laughs> Jesus Christ. But the badger thing, his obsession with the badgers, that, that, that is can't so, be true. It's so revealing. The other thing and the other part before we sort of move on, the question I thought about asking as well is that the same book that reports this also reports that he's fascinated with space garbage, that he asks questions all the time about how does it get up there? Is it going to fall from the sky? <laughs> Where does it come from? Well, so, uh, uh, yeah, the the question of whether we should be more afraid of badgers or, or space trash was my other option. Uh, but uh, it but, seems uh, like. His kid showed him the honey badger video and he just got, he went down a, a YouTube rabbit hole at that point. Again, generations from now, they will look back on the Trump presidency and say, what happened? How, <laughs> how is this like, cause you'll have time and space and you won't, you know, you won't be thinking about th- things through partisan lenses. This is, we're in a moment, Nick. Uh, it's a moment. Trump Andrew don't give a shit. <laughs> there's, our, there's our title. <laughs> On that note, uh, if you guys uh, like the podcast, questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just search for Barstool Politics on there. The, uh, the podcast, uh, you can share uh, or like through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Um, we always appreciate the support. Uh, our merch line you can find on teespring.com, which you can find direct links on our social channels. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, mugs, t-shirts, sweaters right now, more things to come. Um, anything that I missed? No, it's good. Cool. Phil, nice job today. Your reading skills were yes, top-notch. Uh, fantastic. Well done. There's <laughs> lots of stress. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.